only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. The last 200 years of Irish history or more are tragic, blood-soaked, famine, you know, war, civil war, you know, occupation, a multitude of tra tragedies, you know, abuse by the Catholic Church. So I have enough dark subject matter <laughs> to, without resorting to um, fantasy.
Welcome to the Dreams of Consciousness podcast. If you'd be so kind, would you mind introducing yourself? This is Alan from Primordial. And Alan, how would you describe the music of Primordial? Well, you can refer to every interview I did from 1991 to 1999 for that answer. <laughs> I Look, I mean, it's obviously rooted in the second wave of black metal. It's got some doom, it's got some heavy metal, but it's not really exactly for me to say. I wouldn't use the word Celtic or folk to explain it. You can just about use the word pagan if you wish, but fundamentally, it, you know, it's heavy metal with its feet firmly on the dark side of the moon of that, you know, whatever you would, you would call it, musical geography. Now, you, you mentioned the second wave of black metal. With regards to primordial sound, what was the appeal of black metal? What was it that you took from black metal? Well, I suppose, like many people at that time, it was part of a sort of underground cultural zeitgeist that was moving through the scene that felt that death metal had lost its way by 91, 92, 91. And black metal was an attempt to drag it back to its primeval, dark, you know, uncompromising, unevolving state. And I'm quite proud of the fact that my views on black metal haven't moved a single inch in 32, 33 years. I still believe exactly the same thing. So black metal was a kind of reaction on some level to what was happening, you know, as we saw thrash bands lose the Satan and the studs and the nails and death metal begin to sing about the environment. An awful lot of people just were like, fuck this, fuck this. No, it's about this one thing and this one thing only. And that's just what it was its appeal. And obviously you're, you're a young man, you're full of, you know, reckless, you know, energy and a will to want to identify with the protagonist. And so that was the reason why it was appealing and still is appealing, I guess. Well, you mentioned that, that black metal was about one thing and one thing only. What was that one thing? Well, the fact that it never evolved. In its absolute orthodox state, it was literally about, well, you know, it was about, well, we can split that one thing into a couple of different shards, which was that it was about, you know, the spiritually arcane or the occult or Satanism, I suppose, traditionally. Then you mix it with a certain aesthetic. You mix it with a sort of, I, I would say, an identification with, as you said, the sort of spiritual rebellion or outsider identification group, whether you would call that Luciferianism, all those kind of things, which, you know, of course, as you become older and middle-aged, take on a different meaning. And that's fine, because an awful lot of it is linked to the impetuosity of youth. But at the same time, it was a genuine zeitgeist cultural movement that embraced those things, which are and have been very real things for throughout artistic history of, I suppose, the last couple of hundred years, you know? I mean, the identification with a, what what could we call it, a sort of occult group you can go back to, wherever, I don't know, the Rosicrucians, lots of Victorian occult groups, the Golden Dawn, whatever. This, this fascination with that sort of rebel spirit, that rebel angel kind of stuff, was the initial impulse of black metal and... However, you divide that into however many things, 
that was that was the initial impulse and that's what it always should be there's no musical definition of black metal because mr fire doesn't sound like dark throne doesn't sound like immortal doesn't sound like blasphemy doesn't sound like master's hammer so it never was you know only like a sort of northern or norse thing but it just had to be i suppose what you could say obsessed with the the spiritually arcane something like this or the at least at the very least the dark side of things that attract us i suppose right i mean you you just said that uh is isn't specific to a single style no i mean it's it has to be met it has to be it has to be metal if it's called black metal but sure no i mean there we, of course there were people at the time who were like merciful fate isn't black metal it is right so is in the sign of evil so is venom black metal it just is and that's just the way it is you can spit airs about making things pagan black metal or d-beat black metal or anarcho black metal or whatever you want if you want to I suppose in 2023, you know, there's shoegaze black metal and whatever else. But at, at the very core, at the very heart of it all is like a sort of unwavering, you know, sort of unmoving nucleus or whatever you want to say. At least for me. Sure. Would you say that black metal is more of a philosophy than it is a, a musical style or um, a collection of, of musical techniques like blast beats and tremolo picking? No, no, it's no. It doesn't have to be any any of the any of the techniques. And Barrett didn't do that. No, it's it, the musical style is kind of, it's on some level secondary. Um, and of course, don't forget. I mean, look, it was part of a musical trend, a cultural zeitgeist at the time. And then, from no, no doubt, there was lots of not very smart people who got into it who wouldn't you wouldn't have called philosophers. But you know, <laughs> you can, and you shouldn't try and intellectualize a punch in the face. <laughs> but so it it can be both things. You know, it can be this very primal sort of atavistic, you know, feral energy that is very much linked to the, like I said, the impetuosity of youth. And then, of course, there were people who had some things that you could call a bit more of a philosophy or a take on things. Certainly for me, it was an integral stepping stone towards my views of the world or my views of human nature or my views on, well, philosophy or my travel, my reading, all those kind of things. And, you know, of course, it was also a haven for a sort of unbridled nihilism and often negativity that, you know, put quite a few people in the grave as well. So, it, you know, even though, like I said, the, 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 the basic definition, you know, the basic primal energy of it is, is, is mainly flowing in one direction. I suppose it's, it's, it's meant different things to people. Sounds like a contradiction, I suppose, but... I mean, that, that can also be black metal as well, I guess. You mean the contradiction? Yeah, in the fact that I suppose there was always an element of Loki-like, you know, a sort of dark sense of humor to elements of it. I don't know, like the contradiction in the sense that it can mean something very simplistic and brutal to one person, but also have a sort of a complicated intellectual philosophy to it to other people. But yet at the same time, the the first the first energy of that is that driving force of the music I suppose you know it seems that even from your earliest recordings though primordial were were going out of their way to 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 carve their own identity within second wave black metal yeah and not necessarily replicate what you know Dark Throne or or Bathory or whoever was was doing yeah I mean to be clear primordial wasn't a black metal band I mean we came from the second wave of black metal. But even when we were, you know, trying to, you know, making songs for our demo in 93, we never really said we we're black metal. I suppose we were what you would have called pagan black metal or something, along with those first generation of bands who were doing that post-Bathory, which was like, you know, Enslaved and Hades, Hades and Einherjur and bands like that, who were taking, coming from the black metal scene and adding some sort of cultural or historical or, I guess, localized sort of ethnic elements to the music. We had our elements of Irish traditional music and that kind of thing. And we weren't writing about, you know, Satan and stuff. Although, of course, there are elements. You listen to the song Awaiting the Dawn from the first album. And yeah, I mean, there's, you know, biblical imagery and Luciferian imagery in it and stuff. So it's, we weren't, didn't real we didn't really feel confined to one thing, but we never laid out our stall as like Orthodox black, black metal where wherein we changed and we grew older and had to walk all of that back. We sort of left it uh, as an open interpretation, I guess. 
because there was doom metal because there was doom metal in there and you know there was sabbath and stuff and then you know trouble and vitus and then of course you know if you listen to the first demo from like september 91 i mean it, it sounds kind of it's very primitive it's got elements of i guess that sort of sarcophago sepultura style death metal it's got some you know early autopsy style you know it's nothing near as good as any of those bands but it's got some old style death metal in it because of course the original death metal is you know just parallel to the original black metal you said you don't want uh, primordial to be or you don't consider primordial to be celtic uh celtic metal described as celtic metal sure uh, but i'm curious about how how your background and how being irish has has influenced your sound and if that's if that's important to you that uh your sound carries that element in it yeah i think th- oh, i mean what i mean by that is there's obviously elements of irish traditional music but the concept of the celts and celtic music itself this is a rather complicated thing to nail down i mean you're talking about a very disparate group of tribes tribes that spread across europe from you know there's latin celts in switzerland and then you've got you know breton and you know i you know, there's different disparate tribes and so and we're talking you know, how many thousands of years ago i mean to say celtic music i I, th- I think is a kind of catch-all sentiment that i'm not sure it exactly really means much because you're talking about most i you know if i were talking about traditional music well then you're talking about instruments that are only 150 160 years old in their invention so how can it really be celtic anyway <laughs> you understand you understand it's mainly for, i think that's mainly for commercial and purposes and you know to create a catch-all sentiment so and also because the celtic mythology that we grew up with it's of course fantastical and the whole point of primordial was to not be fantastical or mythological or to have to be an escape if i was going to write songs that were going to be about history rooted in the last 150 200 years or if we're going to use some tale from our history, it would be used in an allegorical sense to have some purchase in the modern day. It wasn't really about the fantasy of that tale, even though some of them are incredibly beautiful. You know, like Children of the Harvest is about the Children of Lear or, you know, Sons of the Morrigan. You know, there, there's references, but generally you take an album like there's more songs that are to deal with, you know, soldiers in the First World War or, you know, the post-industrial revolution movements in Europe or the, you know, rebellions in 19, late, you know, 1848 or, I mean, there's, you know, there's, I try not to make primordial um, fantastical or escapist. And so therefore the decision was made in the beginning, kind of like the first album has elements of it. I mean, it's called a ram, which means like a spiritual journey in old Irish. And there are of course elements of it, but Irish, Irish history is the last 200 years of Irish history or more are tragic, blood-soaked, famine, you know, war, civil war, you know, occupation, a multitude of tra- tragedies, you know, abuse by the Catholic Church. So I have enough dark subject matter <laughs> to, without resorting to um, fantasy. So that was the division. You know, the other bands delve more into it, like Kurokan and stuff, and that's cool. And every now and again, we we have elements of it. You know, you have a song like Call to Kurnunas on the new album, which is, you know, the Celtic god Kurnunas. And it's just supposed to be a very simple hymn to nature. So there's there's always elements going back and forward. But by and large, I wanted to make the separation, which was that this is not a folk metal band. Um, it's darker. It's something more grim. The traditional Irish musical elements that that find their way in primordial sound. Is this a, a conscious uh, element that you want to integrate or is it quite natural to you guys? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, the, you know, like I'm not the trad, I'm not the trad guy in the band. I'm the heavy metal guy through and through. So like on the new album, you've got Tradishunta, which is a cover of the, the Ballantour Fancy by a band called the Bothy Band. Kiron and the other guys are much more into this. And I mean, if you, if, if for somebody who's a musician, they can hear the 6-8 timing and the rolling on like drum, the, the drum patterns, and also the open chord guitar playing and strange tunings, which are, you know, from traditional music and elements of jigs and reels. You can hear them. I mean, if you listen to Victory's A Thousand Fathers, you'll, you'll hear our strad music. Yeah, that's always kind of been, you know, there's hints of it in the back. Then we have songs which are just like total black metal, you know, traditional black metal riffs. And so there's always been that element. But we all, I think we always wanted to do it 
every now and again it veers into, of course, epic metal, which, you know, I mean, we all love old Manowar and stuff and old Bathory and stuff, but we always wanted to kind of provide or make sure the band was kind of sort of the dark side of this, this traditional influence.
how does a primordial song start and who does it usually start with? Well, we have a kind of a rule, which is we don't trade files. We have to be in the room together. We don't write remotely. We don't write to drum machines. So we still meet exactly like we did in 91. Four of us in a room or five of us, as the case may have been. I, uh, you know, I have a riff. It goes like this. Check it out. Play along. We all listen. Maybe we go, hey, you remember that riff from this other song from three months ago? What about, will that go after that? What if we change the key? Oh, maybe do it six times. And then, you know, I'll look through my books and my pieces of paper and I'll go, you know what? That This lyrics feels like this to, to me. And Simon, the drummer, might go, well, what about if we change the beat from this to this? And, you know, they, it's really old school, very traditional way of songwriting. And then the chemistry sort of takes over and things become to by percentages become more and more primordial, 40, 50, 60, 70% until you have this primordial song. There's no like magic formula to it, but certainly we do things in a really, really traditional way. And if we were to, you know, if the band will never be that band that trades MP3s and files and writes remotely because it, it's that's just for me kind of like giving in a bit. It's like removing the, the sort of beautiful element of humanity that goes into creating with other people, you know? Do you feel like there's a, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to use the word magic because I, I speak to bands who believe in the occult quite literally. Yeah, sure. But do you feel like there's a chemistry that happens when uh, when all you guys are in the room together and that's that's what makes the song special? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I you know, you can use the word magic without implying, um, you know, to, you know, as I say, as you say, a sort of spiritually magic or occult way to it. But there's definitely... We, we all bring different things to the table. There's a chemistry there, which is five very different people with different influences, different, you know, views on the construction of music, but also the things they bring to the table from their backgrounds and their moods and their all sorts of stuff. And yeah, there's chemistry there. And sometimes to unlock the door to a really great song, you need that other person who's almost diametrically opposed to <laughs> some of the things that you stand for to go, look, you fucking idiot. <laughs> um, take this and do this. And what the fuck are you singing? Or really, you're going to sing that? Or I would lose those last two lines. They don't fit into the, what do you call it? The onomatopoeia or the, the rhythm structure or whatever. And you go, fuck you. And then two minutes later, you go, yeah, you have a point. And the thing about primordial is nothing is precious. <laughs> no one's precious. So Kieran can write. We, have, you know, When we go to the studio to record, we have a big whiteboard and we write on these big you know, pieces of paper and we put them up and we're all looking at them in the room. There's no problem for me to go over and cross out something and go, instead of four, can we make it six? Because I have more singing. And how about we go from C to C sharp or something? Or how about you take this bit? Like no one is, nobody will go, oh, fuck off. I mean, of course we all go fuck off to each other. We're Irish, obviously. <laughs> we have big shouting matches and, you know, we fucking fuck you and whatever. But no one's precious. Like if Kieran says to me, like, you know, man, I'm really, that bit of singing just does my fucking head in. I might stand my ground and then we'll see tomorrow. And in the morning, you might listen to it and go, yeah, you know what, you're right. So it's a combination of knowing when to try and take control of a situation. That's a very a difficult thing with songwriting and knowing when to sit back and let somebody else take over. Knowing when it's your turn to take the reins and drive it forward and go, you know what, maybe I have an idea and I'll, I'll pick up the bass and go, well, what about this bit from here? Or, you know, or Paul will pull out a bass riff and go, Remember that thing from 10 years ago? So it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a chemistry and it's a, it's a joy also being creative, the ability to be creative and not see it as a labor, I think is very important. And that's why I think after 10 albums, Primordial still sounds like it has energy and vitality and life within the songs. You know, you can disagree if you want, but it's a very important thing to step outside of the parameters that exist within a band and be able to step outside and go, do we still sound like we fucking mean it? And if you still got that skill, it's a very important skill, you know? So it's a combination of lots of different things. So at the end of September, Primordial released their 10th album, How It Ends, through Metal Blade Records. Mm. Yeah. I'd like to start with the, uh, the title, the album title, because it's quite ominous. Yeah. What does it refer to, How It Ends? Well, look around the world. <laughs> it's, some people think it's about the band. It's not meant to be, although I did, did deliberately did that for it to be kind of cryptic and have people ask and wonder, is that the end of the band? I suppose, realistically, what 
the the album isn't doesn't really have a theme theme, but it's it's kind of moving around a couple of different subjects. And one is that liberty is the most important word in any language and the pursuit of liberty and our relationship to liberty and a fight for liberty, whether it's, you know, intellectual, bodily autonomy, whatever you want to call it, political, spiritual, and the idea that we resist authoritarianism. So the, uh, the principle, I suppose, of the title and the cover is this how it ends, always at the end of a barrel of a gun. Is this how we define our the civilization or how one piece of dirt belongs from one tribe to another or whatever you want to say it's it's but the album is kind of about the album has kind of an infatuation with the doomed romance of the revolutionary fighter or the rebel or the people on the outside of authoritarian states resisting empire or colony or from either side of the political spectrum sometimes rightly sometimes wrongly i suppose who am I to judge? That's not really about really what the album. The album isn't really judging. It's more reflecting on the dark impulses of human nature, I suppose. So it's state, it's asking the question, like, you know, and some of the lyrics, you know, how did it feel when they when you stood in line for the last time? That kind of ominous end to the illusion of democracy that sometimes we believe doesn't need to be tended to, or you know, that kind of thing. How would you describe the evolution of Primordial's music over the years leading to this this latest album? Sometimes barely at all, sometimes quite up, quite significant. I don't really think about it too much. I mean, there's a song in it called All Against All. And this is a song we could have written in 93 or 94. And that makes me happy that it still has a sort of primitivism to it. We're not really concerned about those things. We're all good musicians, but we never cared about being the tightest or the best or showing off or something simplistic and sounds great. So I don't know. I mean, I think Primordial doesn't really sound like anybody. And I don't think, I think we've carved our own niche, our own furrow. And we, 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 you know, that's the path that we walk. We're not interested in really, we don't have a difficult electronic period or an awkward acoustic album that everybody has to pretend to like. <laughs> you never released a, a remix album? No, we just, we, we have our style and it's, 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 it's drums, bass, guitar, and singing. Every now and again, there's something acoustic guitar, a little bit of something else. But that's how, that's we're very traditional in a sense. You know, it's very like Sabbath or something, and it's it's about the songwriting and the riffs and the singing and all those kind of things. We we didn't rely on keyboards or Irish trad instruments to make to make the atmosphere. So Primordial is still very traditional metal band, and so. I don't know. I, I, if a song sounds to me like, oh, it sounds like our demo, well, I don't care. I mean, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> we made our demo, so it's it's fine for me to if a song echoes the demo, and some of them do. So, so the answer isn't the answer is not much and also and a lot. I don't know. <laughs> do you go into albums wanting to try anything new, or is it just however it comes out? Is is I don't really think about. It. I mean, there's new elements in this new album there's some things i there's some ways i haven't sung quite the same way before but i just try and do what fits the song if the song if what fits the song is primitive black metal vocals then that's what fits the song i'm not i'm really interested in something being progressive or if it is it is if somebody comes up to me and goes wow like there's a song on the previous album called sunken lungs which is quite a complicated drum beat and is quite a difficult time signature and it's a difficult song to play. It's, I think it's a brilliant song, actually. I think it's one of the most underrated primordial songs. And other musicians or people who are interested in trad music have been like, fucking hell, this is, this is complicated. But at the same time, as I said, also, there's All Against All from the new album, which is just has a riff that could be from a Beharit demo. It's just whatever, you know. Now, it, it, whatever, is, whatever works for me, is, 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 that's the most important thing. Has your approach to the vocals changed at all? Yeah, it has. I'm, I'm well, again, yes and no. The most important thing is that you sound like you mean it and that people should be able to, to me, at least people should be able to understand what the fuck I'm saying without a lyric sheet. It's very important to be part hooligan, part poet, part writer, but also part heavy metal singer, but part rabble rouser. And like the ability to write a big chorus isn't lost on me the way our, you know, the maidens and the priests do. Like if you listen to Empire Falls, you, here comes the fucking the big hook in the chorus. That's important to me. And if you don't speak English, you can get it. And if you hear the coffin ships and you don't speak English, you 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 get it. This is a fucking sad song. 
this is about something tragic and serious and real. And you get it. But if you do want the lyrics, they're there for you also. So I've added some strings to my bow at the singing, but at the same time, I'm not I'm not somebody who listens to the singing and, go, and goes, that bit's out of tune, I need to do it again. Sometimes, but sometimes there's lots of out of tune bits and there's out of time bits and there's bits that are ad hoc and just off the cuff and I've just gone, ah, made, you know, made words up and I go, that's pretty cool, leave it in. So lots of the songs are one take very and very little messing with, you know. I mean, out of curiosity, you, you mentioned the importance of hooks and, and choruses, which I think is, is something that I've been trying to get people to say for about 300 episodes now. No one quite seems to know what I'm getting at, though. But, uh, <laughs> it, you know, when you, when you play live, and especially when you play to audiences where English is not their native language, yeah. do, do, do yeah. you see that reaction when they, when they you know, recognize the chorus or they know the words, even though they're not native English speakers? Oh, absolutely. And of course, of course, don't forget an awful lot of an awful lot of heavy metal, modern heavy metal and all the different sub genres of heavy metal. Being a singer, singer, which I am, it's not, it's not like the done thing anymore. It's not. Back in the 60s and the 70s, you looked at all the great rock bands and they had fucking singers. Now, I'm not putting myself in the same category, but the ability to write a chorus, writing a chorus is more difficult to me than writing a song of endless um, dissonant dirges, you know, which are somewhere between incantation and portal. And yeah, I mean, okay, cool. But try and write 30 courses like the Misfits, then come back to me. That's fucking hard. Writing memorable songs with hooks is, it's fucking difficult. And it's a skill and you learn it over the years and primordial, okay, Journey's End doesn't have any courses on it. But then we started to have a few by the third album. And yeah, I mean, writing a big chorus is, is quite a difficult thing. And sometimes it's important to me. And then other songs, it's not at all. Like I said, All Against All. I don't think there's a chorus in that one. But then again, Victory's A Thousand Fathers has a big fucking chorus. And of course, yeah, you go to Brazil or Chile or Argentina or Russia or Mexico or something and wheel out a big fucking, you know, everybody can get, where's the fighting man? Am I he? I am he. I mean, you know, you don't need... And, uh, you know, to be well-versed in English to understand that. So for me, sometimes you have to, how can we say, you have to sheath your iron fist in a velvet glove sometimes. <laughs> you know, you have to be part, you can be part poet, but also be part hooligan, part rabble raiser. And sometimes a big, huge fucking fuck you of a chorus just lands in the middle of it, you know. And so, and that's also the thing you learned from, well, not that those bands were like that, but that's all the things you learned from, you know, Priest and Man of War and, and Maiden and Dio and stuff, you know. So kind of a, big, a mixture of all things, you know.
So where did you end up recording this album? It's in a studio called Hellfire. It's in the Dublin mountains. It's kind of about the furthest reaches that Dublin goes before you get to mountains and forests and stuff up in the, the Wicklow Downs and stuff. And really beautiful part of Dublin in that you could walk to the bus stop to get back into the city. But once you leave, you leave. And we hired a house out there. And it's it's a really good studio. It's, you know, a cool vibe and lots and lots of old amps and guitars and all sorts of things. And we did about two weeks there. So there's nothing particularly unusual about it. I mean, it was much easier than the previous album to make. We seem to go back and forwards. One is good, the next experience is difficult and back and forth. So this one was a, a positive experience. It was everybody working very hard, a lot of a lot of hard work gone into it, especially from Kieran. He did a huge amount of work. So and it just things fall fall together. You know, you trust in your instincts as a musician and you trust that, okay, tonight the vocals have to be done for this. I got two hours. And I also need to write some fucking lyrics. So we're not a band who preps wildly before an album you know we don't we yeah, like obviously we rehearse and we write the songs we don't we don't like make 20 versions of each thing and deliberate over tiny key changes and stuff you have to trust in your instinct as a musician to just kind of roll with it which is what we do what makes a recording difficult and what makes a recording easy is it on the performance side is it on the equipment side is it just getting the sound that you're, you're happy with? Well, let's say this for Exile Amongst the Ruins. The person in charge of picking the studio for recording that one didn't prep it properly enough. And we were all guilty of that. And we went in and we found it was not really fit for purpose. We had to do a lot of rewiring, moving things around. It can be as simple as there's something like there's nowhere to, there isn't somewhere to chill out after your part is done. You need somewhere to go so you're not in the way all the time. Sometimes it can be freezing and cold. Sometimes you can... You can get sick. When we did Redemption at the Puritan Sand, I got swine flu and I had to try and do the singing because we were in a remote valley in Wales. I got really, really, really sick. I couldn't even walk 10 yards and I had to sing. That could be a fucking make it a horrible experience. It can be difficulties with the engineer. It can be, you know, it's not by and large us, as in it's not usually our inability to put the songs together. We've always been pretty good at that, although sometimes you get block. It could be lots of different things. So at one time we were almost snowed in and couldn't couldn't get out, couldn't go home. So it can be weather, it can be sickness, it could be it can be gear, it can be technical stuff. We've all been in situations where you have to do a mix and the hard drive goes down and you don't have a spare hard drive and the nearest one is like fucking four hours away and you know, or the bass breaks and there's no where you can get it fixed and you end up playing something you don't want to play and so there's, there's lots of different coefficients that can go into making a recording difficult. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of them, actually. You worked with Chris Fielding on this album. Sure. Fielding has, has worked with Primordial in, in some fashion, in some form, since To the Nameless Dead. Sure. What do you like about working with Chris? Well, Chris is, well, he's just a great person. He's just a really nice guy. And when we went to set about going to record he, I, I think that maybe 10, 15 years ago, we had more of our fingers on the pulse of who would have been a new up-and-coming interesting engineer. I mean, I, I think it's important to to mix things up, to, to not become too familiar and too comfortable when you're recording. You should go to different studios and try different things. But for this one, just album number 10, we said we're trying a new studio, Hellfire. We're trying new logistics. We're trying new, all sorts of new things. But we were like, literally, you know what? Let's talk to Chris about doing this. And in the end, it was a great decision. And, you know, it's uh, we, we, we just want a, a big, open-sounding live record that sounds like a band playing together in a room. And I think that's kind of what you have, you know. Did Chris also handle the mixing and mastering of the album? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's the albums are sort of, they're mixed usually with me sitting in a, room discussing do we need more of this and what about the bass drum and what about the this i'm usually sort of ever present when it comes to mixing although then chris will then take it and do the kind of you know put the icing on the cake so to speak and finish off all the final moments but the, the sort of 70 80 percent mix is something i'd be involved in so yeah i mean and then it no it's mastered by james plotkin 
who was in the band Can Eight. So he's he's very good as well. Really good guy, and uh, and a new person to work with. So you know, just, sometimes you just need some new ears and some new angles. And I, I think bands who get settled into the oh, this is the studio we always go to, and I record my guitar parts in my home studio. Here's the file, and you can get you just end up with albums that all sound the same to me. Was was this the first time you worked with Plotkin? Uh, yeah, I think so. First time we mastered with Plotkin. Yeah, he's great. He's really great. He makes some records sound really, really excellent. I would recommend anybody to go and check out James. Besides his reputation, I mean, you know, James Plotkin has been involved in underground metal since Old Lady Drivers, you know, like... Oh, yeah. I have regurgitation, yeah. Yeah, one of, one of the original, like, U.S. death metal grindcore OGs. Yeah, man. And, and, and uh, you know, he's a good dude. And, uh, well, actually, he came on my podcast as well. So, yeah, no, it's... He, I think he has some int- he has some different ears because he also understands the dynamic range of many other different kinds of music. I think he has quite a broad scope and taste, you know, a broader palette maybe from which to add the textures in the painting, the overall end of the painting. You know what I mean? W- would you say that that's what Plotkin brought to this album, more texture? I don't know. I mean, he didn't do you know he didn't stray too far from the final mixes, but he he gave it a broadness and a definition. And a sort of width, because I, I find that some masters are too, they're too compressed, they're too dense, and they don't let the instruments breathe enough. And so the he, you know, I think he did that, you know. So, primordial has been around in some form for over thirty years. You emerged with the second wave, and you you outlasted most of your peers from that time. I'm curious if there's if there's anything you still want to accomplish with this band that you haven't had a chance to do it yet whether it's touring or something musical? Yeah, I mean, you know, my I don't have many regrets. One is that we didn't tour America enough back in the day. You see, we're not a professional band, and so juggling all the responsibilities of life that come at you as you grow older and trying to find time for all of those things and touring. And America just was the place where you knew you were going to go and come back with no money and we didn't do it enough in our 20s to be able to sort of create enough of a following there, I think. That's a regret. I regret not having played in any country we haven't played yet. <laughs> I mean, only today I was talking to a guy about playing in Kazakhstan and Armenia and Georgia and these places before. I'm like not, I'm a sort of restless guy. I'm not happy. You're not happy unless you're doing something new? I look at a map, I go, fuck, we haven't been to Colombia. So... Yeah, I want to go to the places before it ends where we haven't. So that's my goal. You know, the 10th album goal we achieved. And so, and to still make a good record, I think we achieved. So, you know, the, the places click into, click, you know, things begin to make more sense. So now we just have to look at the our offers and see where we can go. And I mean, I don't think it's the last album, but you never know what's happening really, do you? I mean, we, we did discuss the cryptic nature of the title, how it ends. Yeah, sure. If... If it does end, I mean, how would you want to be remembered? For never having fucking compromised pretty much at all. <laughs> for having plowed our own furrow, changed for no one, done our own thing, I think made a great canon of strong work, ups and downs, but I don't think we made a bad album. I mean, some people may think so, that's okay. I don't think we made a bad album. I think we always did. We followed our own instincts and, and we didn't compromise. And I think we made... You know, we made art that, for those who keep listening, will, you know, outlive us if we all fucking crashed into the sea next week. And I suppose that's the goal, to create something that defines you, that outlives you, that still speaks to people, that moves them, that's come from an honest place. You know, we may not have been the biggest band in the world, and that was never our intention, but... And here we are after 30 years, me and you are talking about a band we, you know, started off together as, as teenagers and most, most bands never even make it past the first gig. So it is a beautiful thing. And I think it's a thing to cherish the, the idea of having this, this creative side of life that very few people sadly get to be, to run, you know, parallel to their, their normal life or whatever. Uh, or, you know, when it crosses over and becomes the same thing. And so that's one of the things about Primordial. It's, it's never, it never has become a tedium or 
a labor or a, you know, sure enough, you're tired in the morning in an airport after two hours sleep. But, you know, we still, we still get along together. We still make each other laugh and we still have fun and we still look forward to going away um, together and being on tour together. And so these are important things in the grand scope, scope of life, because like the album title says, you never know how it ends. This could be, you could be the last person I ever speak to. Who knows? Well, let's hope that's not true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> it's too much responsibility for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So How It Ends is out now through Metal Blade Records. Yeah. Alan, please tell people how they can order the album. What's the best way to get it? I don't know. <laughs> I guess metalblade.com and just have a look around for Primordial. I, I know there are different versions available in different continents. I can't tell you if you're in America which one is cheaper or not. I'm sort of clocked out a bit of the, you know, like I don't fulfill orders on Bandcamp and we don't have our own pressing here and we don't have a big mail order of stuff. The the lockdown really just completely was a, a big, big punctuation mark at the end of that sentence for a lot of bands. It's now almost cost ineffective for us to try and do all those things. So we don't have a big cottage industry that I'm plugging. I would say you can follow Primordial underscore official on Instagram and Nemtiang underscore Primordial on Instagram. And also my podcast, Agitators Anonymous. I'm on 180 episodes. Um, last one was about conflict in the Middle East and I do politics, I do metal, stupid tour stories, interviews, all sorts of stuff. Quite a lot of people listen to it in its own small uh, drop in the ocean type way. And so it's the similar thing to the band, kind of uncompromising about free speech and skepticism and rationality and all sorts of stuff. As for the band, well, I mean, look, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to follow us on Spotify and listen to the album, great. You know how to spell the name of the band. And if you want to order it, yeah, go to the Bandcamp or go to metalblade.com. I couldn't tell you the names of all the people who have all the different colors in all the different places. I don't know. In in fact, after the tour we just did with Paradise Lost in Europe, my copies of the album are sitting in a box in our bass player's house. I don't actually own a copy of the record yet. So I can't tell you all the colors. I don't know anymore. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, Metal Blade does put out <laughs> a lot of variations every time they put out an album. Yeah, I, I would imagine there's about 10 different colors. So I know there's one called Bastard Irish. Bastard Irish Green. So try and get your hands on that one. That's the one that we like the most. <laughs> and I'll say that if you're in the US, you can check with Indie Merch Store. Oh, yeah. If you're in the UK, you can check with Eyesore Merch. And if you're in Europe, you can check, check with Kings Road and you'll be able to find some variants through there. Yeah, and also that we're coming to MDF next year. And I think... It looks like we've confirmed maybe or going to in the confirming about six club shows in the US for the first time in about 10 years. So I know we're playing in Chicago and LA. I think we're playing in Seattle or Portland and I think we're playing in New York. So really looking forward to that. I, I love America. I love going there. Um, I, I, it's too long since we've been there to play. So you can, we can end on that note. Yeah. If, as long as the world isn't over by then, we should see you then. Thank you so much, Alan. No worries. My pleasure.
You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.